welcome back to the First with First podcast. Uh, I'm Alan Johnson, Director of Ministries here at the church, and I have with me, as always, our pastor, James Bennington. Hi there. And uh, we are back for episode three, and we apologize for the delay, but there's been some technical difficulties, some sickness, and some different things. So, uh, But we are back and ready in this episode to begin having having kind of given the background and the introduction of a uh, history of how we've gotten here as a denomination to this place of uh, there's going to be a split. Um, we now have you all, the listeners, have uh, suggested and, and, and posed some questions, and we are going to address those questions. As we've been saying, probably not answer them all, but we are going to address them. Yeah, respond to them as best we can. Yeah, because uh, there's a lot of things still unknown, as we've as we've mentioned. But we're also going to begin to interject into the conversation. You know what what unites us? What is there about uh, about our church, about our um, our tradition that unites us moving forward? Because uh, we are going to move forward. We're going to get past this, and. Uh, you know, so so we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, but we do want to, since you since you've given us the questions, we want to respect that and and honor those questions and and address them. So that's what we're going to begin to do today. Yeah, I mean the the <clears throat> it's I mean there are a lot of questions, and I think when questions are posed and they're they're not at least acknowledged, responded to, sure. you know that's that's a bit off putting. Um, again, we, we respond to the questions, uh, giving answers that, you know, are just like, you know, tying it up with a bow and making it all nice. Well, just nobody, nobody really, really can do that. Yeah. I mean, there are assertions that different folks can make, but it's just that it's what they think. It's their assertions. Today's question is... The question that was posed, and it, it's it's one of the it's one of the bigger ones. If if the Bible talks about marriage being, being between a man and a woman, how is it that progressives can ignore that and support marriage between two people of the same sex? And that's that's the question. I would say, you know, just if if I was sitting down just talking with someone, which is kind of like what we're doing with the podcast, sure. is it's very complicated. That's a gross uh, summarization, and it almost sounds like, well, you're going to stop there. No, no. It it has been complicated for a long time. And when folks want to ask that question, I do think that there are some things in the backdrop of that question that might be working in a person's mind. Just, just the issue in general. How is it that the church might begin to be more uh, inclusive and open? Uh, what is the interpretation of Scripture in general? Mm-hmm. What is the understanding and interpretation of, of specific passages that might relate to 
or be associated with this particular issue. Who is the person of Jesus, and what did Jesus speak about? So a lot of those things kind of run through my head when somebody poses a question like that. Just think, wondering, hmm, what's what's going on there with that question? Mm-hmm. What what prompted that question? Right. Um, and so you know that's just that's just part of what I'm thinking as I'm thinking about how to respond to it. You know, I think I would say to someone, well, marriage has historically been understood, traditionally understood, between a, a man and a woman. And implicit in that has always been that the purpose between, the purpose for a man and a woman to unite in marriage is so that they can reproduce. And have children, and that has been the traditional view. Um, I and I can remember, uh, and it was a, an, an emphasis in culture and society. I can remember my uh, my grandmother Burl saying, "I was saying something to her. Um, she was in her early nineties at the time." And I said, you know, uh, just talking with her, I said, you know, Grandma, I, th- I thought I would be married by now. I was in my mid-30s. And she said, you shouldn't worry. You know, I got married late. I said, yeah, you did? What? When did you get married? She says, I was 21 when I got married. <laughs> I said, 21? She goes, oh, yeah, a lot of the girls were, 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 were I grew up with, you know, they were 16, 17. Mm-hmm. They were getting married. They, you know, they were, you know, they got married, left home, and started uh, setting up a, house, a household with, with their spouse. I said, 21. I was, I was a bit surprised by that. <laughs> um, so it made being 35 made me feel just ancient you know at that point but that but that story is to say that in a given time 21 was old right by her definition i was 39 when i got married and i know people who are in their 40s i knew somebody who was in their mid 50s when they got married for the first time I say that to say this, that marriage, the understanding of marriage, the uh, uh, there's always been this dynamic that marriage is, a, is an evolving, changing understanding. Mm-hmm. That is not to say that marriage can be anything you want it to be now. That's not to say that, but to, to, but to say that marriage, the understanding of marriage, the dynamic of marriage... Of, of two people coming together and uniting for a lifetime commitment, that has never been a static, here it is, dynamic. And, and I think my story that I told about my grandmother illustrates that. Sure. Culture has a lot to do with it, um, especially, say, in Asian culture or Hispanic culture. Western culture, American culture like we have, European culture, there are 
expectations and understandings around what that might be that are very specific, that are not just, you know, set in stone and static. So part of the issue around marriage is uh, that it has always been this kind of changing dynamic. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, marriage adapts to social changes as well as economic changes. Well, for example, it was I, I can remember growing up that um, when I had a teacher in, in grade school who got married, she, she had one name, and then when she got married, she had a different name because mm-hmm. she took her husband's name. That's still a very traditional aspect to marriages. My wife and I chose to do that. Uh, but if my wife said, you know, I, I want to keep my last name. I want to keep Odom as my last name. It wouldn't make us any less married. Right. But because of that, because that, that's a choice that a lot of people are, are making. And, and maybe it's not as common around here as it is some other places, but it is a, it is a choice that people make. It, it doesn't mean they're any less married because of it. It means that they're in a, they've made a choice about how they're going to relate and what they call themselves. And they're still, we, we could be uh, Tammy Odom and James Bennington, uh, husband and wife. Or we could be Tammy and James Bennington, and we chose that. Again, that is to say, there is this evolving kind of quality around marriage. I mean, I can remember, again, my grandmother and some other folks saying, well, you know, um, there wasn't a lot of opportunities uh, for, for women, and so you, you got married, and that's how you made your way in the world. Well, economic situations are different now. There's uh, persons who are women are in the workplace. They have uh, their CEOs of company. It, it is not this dynamic within a culture that uh, one one particular gender has to be dependent on another gender in order for economic survivability. That is um, uh, a, a change. I mean, uh, another change is to say, well, you need to get married because you need to to uh, multiply and reproduce. Well, there's a lot of folks who choose not to have children. There's a lot of folks who cannot have children for whatever reason. So, so folks that can't have children or choose not to have children, they should never get married. We, well, no, we, we wouldn't say that to people. Right. Well, but if the purpose of marriage implicit is to reproduce, again, this is to say that um, marriage has a evolving, changing quality within it. You know, another another way that I think we could begin to to look at this um, is, in some sense, how society and culture looks at some things, and how the church looks at some things. For example. Society has said uh, the production and the consumption and sale of alcohol is legal and fine as long as it follows certain parameters. And if you want to go to a particular place that sells alcohol and buy it as long as you're of legal age, you can do that. 
the church, most churches have a, an if not a direct emphasis, an indirect emphasis on, well, n- no, people of faith don't consume alcohol. And even if uh, even if a denomination is a little more uh, open with that, they would say, "Well, you know, only a little in moderation." So that's that's a difference in the society's view and the church's view. Um, society has had a, a view of divorce for a long time. Divorce is permissible; it's legal under under particular circumstances. Uh, a one a person can get a dissolution of marriage via divorce through the legal process that they're no longer legally married to another individual. Um, there are certain causes for that that can be justified for one person divorcing another person. Those are the laws that are on the books. Um, there is a... a a keen understanding within our culture that um, as tragic as divorce is, sometimes it's the best option, Um, especially in a situation where uh, one partner, one person might be exploitive of the other, whether physically, sexually, emotionally, that that it's best not for those for those two people not to remain married. The church has had to play catch up, I think. I can remember growing up in Bristol and hearing a classmate of mine in high school who I had lunch with every day. She she said, "Well, Boy, my my family's really, we're really upset. And and I said, oh God, well, gosh, what about you know? And she said, well, my sister is getting a divorce, and divorce is a sin, and divorce is awful, and divorce is not what God wants. It's her family really seemed to be on the outs with. With her sister, I mean, her own parents were not uh, keen on her getting a divorce. You know, I was sixteen, seventeen at the time. I didn't, I didn't understand or appreciate all the ins and outs. But looking back on it, it wasn't so much. There wasn't a thought as to why. It's just, well, they're getting a divorce, therefore they're not in keeping in touch with the Bible. Well. The understanding now is, I mean, if if one spouse abandons another, if one spouse is abusive to another, if one spouse is exploitive of another, if one spouse uh, ceased to be who he or she represented themselves to be, you know, committed fraud, basically. Well, I I let you think I was this one person, but really I'm, you know, somebody else you find out. I mean, those are things that the church says, you know, that, that, that doesn't constitute a healthy, viable marriage. And so the, the, the understanding of divorce is very different now in the church. But for the longest time, the church held to a very strict view on what is permissible and not permissible when it comes to divorce. 
So, point, you know, there's been a lot of issues that the church has evolved over time on yeah. and, and maybe, you know, come to a better understanding. Yeah, and, and, and you know, let, let me be quick to, to, to say that evolve doesn't mean, oh, well, we've evolved on marriage, therefore we just toss away what, what you know, the Bible does say about marriage being good, marriage sure. marriage be, being between uh, uh, two people, marriage having that ability to uh, uh, be a place for children to be raised and brought up, and that, to say that and to say that you know oh well the church has evolved on its understanding of divorce doesn't mean that we think divorce the church thinks divorce is any less tragic. Sure. Any less hurtful, um, the end goal of any marital discord would be harmony and reunification and reconciliation. Um, but if divorce happens, okay. So it doesn't doesn't mean you know just because the church might accept divorce more doesn't mean that we think of reconciliation and 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 marriage being solid and good that we think of those things less. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I have personal experience with, with that issue myself, with the divorce issue, and being um, treated uh, from from kind of both of those views, from the, from the very traditional conservative, divorce is bad mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. no matter what, uh, to um, divorce is horrible, it's tragic, but... You know what? We want to help you. We want to. We want to walk with you. Um, and and so I, I think that some of the some of the changes in understanding and the the evolution of the views on these things have enabled the church to help people more rather than just condemn and and in, and in some extreme cases abandon and shun uh, because of whatever is is deemed to be a sin in their life. Right. And, and, yeah, uh, that involvement in that direction, I think, has been overall very, very positive. Yeah, um, it has. It in those situations like like divorce, like we're talking about, and in other situations, it has allowed us to, I think, be more responsive, live into more of what we say it is that we believe, which is we're going to be loving and try to be as authentic as Christ was authentic. Um, you know, I mean, uh, for example, going back on the issue about alcohol, um, it, it's not it's not uncommon at all to find an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous, an NA meeting, Narcotics Anonymous, in a church. It's not uncommon to see church, a church or churches come together to have something like celebrate recovery, which is kind of the quick summation, the God stuff of recovery and recovering from well, whatever it is a person is recovering from, uh, that involvement has been has been good, um, I think. Um, when when we get into the issue of of you know the Bible says this about marriage, and now it seems like progressives are ignoring it. That was that was the question that was yes. asked. Yes. I, I think we come down to that uh, that matter of interpretation. 
of biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in just saying that alone, some people hearing this are going to nod their head and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, that makes sense. And others are going to go, wow, I just, he's off the beam. And um, I, I, in, interpretation is like that. And it it can be complex. I'm I'm not denying a bit what 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 it says in Scripture. You know, one of the things that has been said, well, Jesus didn't say anything about same sex marriage. Therefore, he has to be neutral. No, he he that I mean, sorry, yes, he he didn't say anything about same sex marriage. He that that's in there. You know, the old joke, you know, go, 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 go get you a big, thick Bible, one with all the words in it. Um, no, he didn't say anything directly about same-sex marriage. That is 100% true. That is in there. That is not a traditional view or a progressive view. That's just fact. I mean, right. just look it up. It's mm-hmm. just fact. But also fact, he did say in, in uh, Matthew as well as Mark— uh, Matthew 19 and Mark 10, he did say marriage is between a man and a woman. And he was talking about uh, divorce and the issue around divorce a- at the time. And so that has to be dealt with faithfully and openly as folks struggle through this issue, r- regardless of whether they're progressive or centrist or traditional or anything. One of the one of the other things has been said, you know. Well, you know, Jesus didn't say that, therefore he must be neutral. Well, Jesus didn't say a whole lot about like genetic engineering either. So saying that Jesus would be okay with that, you know, Jesus didn't say a whole lot about. Um, Jesus didn't say anything about viewing pornography. So since he didn't say anything about that, he must be neutral about it. Well, no, we would never say anything like it. So this kind of argument from silence it, it is a little little hard to say this is why this is okay or this is why this isn't okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get all theological here. Okay. Well, you are chief theological guru. Well, so. yeah, that is, that, is, that is my title, yes. and it is on a, it is on a, a coffee cup I have. Yes, so I guess, I guess I need to get into it. But, but you know, the, the, the theological understanding around, around Scripture is, especially as we look at what we call Old Testament and, and, and moving forward, is, is that Scripture has a trajectory, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, for example, this, this would, hopefully this will help folks understand what I mean by this. The Ten Commandments were given. The law is given. Follow the law, that is how you have relationship with God. Uh, And then the chronicle of the Bible, as it moves, the narrative of the Bible talks about how the nation of Israel did not do that, and they they fell away, and chaos, punishment resulted. But then God's always bringing Israel back, Mm -hmm. uh, showing His mercy and His love continually. Well... When we come to what we call the New Testament, here's Jesus, and Jesus says, you know, he was accused of trying to get rid of the law. He says, I've not, I've not come to 
get rid of the law. I'm not, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill the law. And the, what, what was the purpose of the law? To have relationship with God. So Jesus is fulfilling the law. Well, how do you have a relationship with God? How do folks who are Christian have a relationship with God? It is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what I mean by trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, this, this moving forward. The law was given first. Ah, but then in the person of Jesus, it finds its fulfillment and its most complete expression. So that's what I, that's that's an understanding of trajectory, and I hope that will kind of help folks with it. Like, ah, I see, I see where things are going. the The issue around marriage for the church between two folks of the same sex is one that has mixed in it the interpretation, this trajectory on Scripture. How is society? recognizing this new level of relationship or new type of relationship between two people and how does that interface with the church and what the church is going to do to say that you know why why do some folks ignore that particular scripture than others i I couldn't tell you you know Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't worry. Uh, Seek God and all the things of God and everything will be added to you. You know, look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't worry about anything. Well, why do some people worry and worry themselves sick and become anxious and not listen to what Jesus said? Well, as as a someone who I could go pro as a warrior. Mm-hmm. Um you keep your amateur status for Olympic competition. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could. Um but now the, some of the rules and regulations, I could get I could do some really good endorsement stuff sure, sure. for w- worry things. <laughs> um I tell I tell Kaylee, I tell our five year old, she'll get something on her mind and she'll just oh you know, she'll fret about it. I go, honey, don't be like daddy. Don't, don't fret about this. Well, why, why don't people follow what Jesus said in Matthew 6? Right. You know, the, 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 the Bible talks about a lot of things. And I think a lot of folks, a lot of folks, the majority of folks are doing their dead level best whether they're traditional or progressive or centrist, they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And they're trying with grace toward themselves and each other. They're trying to understand how is this not so much saying, well, you're wrong on this or you're right on this, as much as it is, how am I being in relationship to God and loving God and loving others and trying to do that the best I can. It's clunky. It's awkward sometimes. Grace and and things of, about ministry are sometimes messy. 
and so it it gets it gets it it can get it can feel difficult in dealing with particular issues and and this issue of of same sex as as the church is dealing with it now and in the divisiveness the thoughts what's the considerations there what's that going to mean what's it going to look like where I think most people, whether they're traditional, progressive, or centrist, those those particular designations that exist now, I think a lot of folks are trying to work it out. I think they're trying to figure it out. And sometimes it gets heated and um, emotional. Um, I think folks struggle. I think, you know, I think everybody on... The whole spectrum of it, whether they're progressive or traditional or centrist, I, I think we're, we're challenging one another. You know, well, you you look at it this way. Well, have you thought about looking at it this way? You said that, but did you think of this? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it means we got to think things through. It means we've got to roll things over in our head. It means we might have to admit there's a different way to look at things. It might mean that we need to be more resolved and firm in what it is we do believe. And, and so that path is not always as crystal clear as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there's a at least a lot of the colleagues that I've met, um, not only United Methodist, but in some other denominations, we're all trying our dead-level best to, to be as loving toward others and as loving and faithful to God as we can be, and it's just not an it's just not an easy issue to work through. Yeah, well, I, I think it. I think the process, although difficult and maybe even painful, is is a good one. The the f- being forced to look at things from a different perspective, to consider other alternatives to kind of what you've always thought on a particular issue. Uh, that's that's the story of church history you know uh, i mean you can go back to to those early church fathers and they disagreed on major stuff you know huge stuff uh, the resurrection uh, yeah the things that we would consider Holy essential Spirit. now yeah uh and and they all seem to say you know yeah we disagree but hey uh, we we just we we love jesus and we want to follow him and and we're trying to figure out how to do that and we're still doing that. It's still the still the task. It's still the task. It it it's very much a connection point we have with the disciples of old, as 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 I could coin that. And and so, I, but but the task, the mission, has not changed. The mission is as sound and solid as ever. And the mission that Jesus gave us: make disciples. That that that's there. That's not changing. That's not going away. We're not altering that. The avenues, the platforms, the resources, the equipment, all those things, we might change those. Mm-hmm. But the mission itself, make disciples. That's that's as sound and solid as it as it ever as it ever as it has ever been. And so I think in some ways, you know, we can get into, oh, you know, this divide and this, you know, things are changes coming, a split more than likely, and it can make us sad and downcast, and uh, we can get 
hot under the collar, bent out of shape. You know, people hearing this now might be just really mm-hmm. upset with me because of my words. And I have to admit, I, I've been there. And I'm not saying I don't have moments where I get there. Sure. But I also recognize that the mission of God is as sound as it ever has been and is as relevant as it ever has been and is needed probably more now than it ever has been. And so to be engaged in ministry in meaningful, challenging ways is very exciting. It's, it, it's, it's, I know me personally and professionally, it's causing me to stretch. It's causing me to be solid in what I know is true, mm-hmm. but also be responsive to people and try to be authentic as Jesus was authentic. And I hope I'm, in, I'm being as faithful as I know how to be to that model. You know, and you know, as as I, I, like I said, that, like like we said, there's not an answer to the question. Right. Hopefully, this has been a a valid, good response. But it 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 kind of it what I just what I just said about being faithful to Jesus. It you know the things that you know, Alan, the things that we have in common with one another. Mm. Um regardless of the view that is held on same sex right the things that unite us the things that we hold in common together the the common threads that link us are are more and stronger than things that divide us um and i'm excited about not only dealing with the questions and the issues that that folks have raised because any question asked from a sincere mind a sincere heart is a good one and so we got some good ones but i'm also excited about you know we're going to spend some time talking about the things that really solid solidly unite us together um and jesus being one of them yeah, well, the biggest one, right? The biggest yeah. one. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, I just took a recent trip to Monticello, uh, and and Thomas Jefferson was a, a thinker, uh, among many other things deep that one. he was. And uh, one of his quotes that I have have always found very uh, interesting, uh, and I I won't get it word for word, but he says, you know, question with boldness, uh, mm. even the very existence of God. For if there is a God, he would surely rather us come to know him through reason and have good reasons to know about him than just blindfolded fear, mm. you know. Wow, and, I'm going to add that to my, uh, man, that's a good one. It's so good, yeah. And and so so I I, I, I love the questions and, and, I, and the process of that, but then it should all be done with that overarching idea that we are one in Christ. And I, I found this passage, it's one of my favorite passages, uh, Ephesians 4, mm. when it comes to unity and, mm. and the unity we have. Ephesians I, is my favorite book of the Bible. I, it's great. Uh, Paul was pretty good. Oh, Paul was. <laughs> pa- Paul knew his stuff. Yeah. So it says, uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. 
bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I love that in verse 3 where he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the peace, uh, keep the unity of the Spirit that you have. You already have it. We have the unity. The call is to keep it. Mm. And I, I think that's uh, important for us to remember. I think it's huge. I mean, I, I think about um, John Wesley's, my understanding is it was his favorite verse. It was the second part of, I think it's Galatians 6, the second part of verse 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, speak the truth in love, and I get it. I, I've been in the room when you know people have almost come to blows on this issue. Mm-hmm. Literally, uh, I've I've been in the room when people have been really upset with me. I've been upset with other people. This is an issue that's just if there's a hot button, this is. This is about as hot as it gets. Yeah. But there's so much to be had from keeping the unity, staying focused on the unity, speaking the truth in love, and and growing. I think later on in verse uh, or chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we, we grow up into him who is the head, who is Christ Jesus. We grow. We grow into mm-hmm. him. We grow into that relationship where we're, you know, the image of Jesus is all the more present in us, not only individually but together. And I think I think that's the the representation of unity. And we, you know, I think when we stay focused on Jesus, when we stay focused on the mission, we're we're going to come to a place where we're we're going to. We're going to be living the faith and living it in an authentic, meaningful, solid way. So I'm, I'm excited about the remaining questions, but I'm also excited about where we talk about that unity because hopefully as we're doing this podcast and sharing those things that unify us, that uh, folks will be hearing and getting that sense of unity. Yeah, and, and indeed, and plenty of opportunities I'm, I'm excited about stuff going on here at the church oh some yeah. things happening uh opportunities to be involved to be a, a part uh, of that unity with one another locally here and uh I, god god is god is still god he's still moving he's still working and and we just want to be a part of it i i, I see it i see it in a number of the interactions here i, I see it in the uh, you know, Alpha. We launched Alpha on Monday, um, um, and and we, you know, there's there's things going on with with children and youth. We we have some uh, you know some some possibilities coming up with uh, in music as as we welcome a new music director. Um, I mean, there's there's just the opportunity to well be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's that's a blessing. And I'm excited about seeing that and experiencing that blessing. Me too. Me too. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening, as always. Uh, as, as this has been Episode 3. We'll continue on, uh, hopefully more on schedule moving forward, Lord willing. 
and uh, we will move on with some of the questions that you have presented and then get into more deeply what unites us. So thank you all for listening. Like, share, subscribe, all the things that you know to do. And uh, we'll be back next time. Yeah, look forward to, to being back again and uh, continuing the, the conversation and the growing together. God bless.